0: in the range of of 10 to 30 uh, nodes. So we're in the the process of of migrating this. And in the old setup, we actually had a much bigger cluster than we have uh, in in our migrated cloud environment. Also, we want to be more flexible in the way we, we use our resources and but we also noticed that there is a marketplace solution, the SaaS solution of
1: Elasticsearch uh, themselves. And we looked into uh, Kubernetes, run Elasticsearch with the uh, Elasticsearch oper- Kubernetes operator in our own Kubernetes cluster. So the first step we took is we added one of the cloud cluster into that rotation. So what would happen is one cluster was serving traffic, one cluster was indexing and one cluster was idle.
2: Hey everyone. Welcome to the BOL.com Tech Lab podcast. We share our experience with you, peeking behind the screens of IT and tech in general at BOL.com, the largest e-commerce platform in the Netherlands and Belgium. We are sharing our approach to IT, e-commerce, and retail platforms. The hosts of the show, Peter Paul van der Beek and Peter Brouwers.
3: Hey, welcome. Honored that you're joining us again to listen to a new episode of the BOL.com Tech Lab podcast. It's been a while since we touched uh, the topic of cloud and moving to the cloud, but recently in one of the presentations we do internally uh, on that, yeah, we came uh, across a gem we think, and we want to share that today with you. And something that I want to share with you with this topic is that uh, finding a good trajectory to move to the cloud, it isn't just always uh, trivial. Uh, Yeah, Not all the technologies uh, that we decided to use uh, in the last 10 years, have a beaten path to the cloud, so uh, yeah, uh, really uh, looking forward to sharing this uh, with you, and uh, looking forward to it.
2: Yeah, nice. Yeah, maybe before we dive into that one, uh, maybe it's good to mention that we also, um, based on other episodes, sometimes people are reaching out, and, and one of uh, the, the guys that was reaching out is—it's nice to mention—it was uh, Colin McAllister. Hopefully, I pronounce it correctly. And he said that there was a discussion going on somewhere on LinkedIn, uh, so we'll share the link in the show notes later with you, uh, about advantages and disadvantages of using C for an FTP server uh, for development. And uh, it was funny that yeah, we recorded uh, an episode uh, based on, on a similar topic, but then building an FTP server based on Rust. So we used that uh, episode in, in that conversation. So nicely to uh, to point out to you as, as well. And yeah, hopefully uh, if you have reactions to one of our episodes, let us know. We uh, we find it interesting to uh, to join the conversation with you. Yeah, and then let's go to the topic about Elasticsearch to the cloud. Um, from from my uh, uh, going back in history in bold.com back in 2014, we moved our uh, whole uh, setup into our own uh, managed data center. And one of the advantages was that we were able to to start uh, yeah in our own data center, which would be easy to scale with our own hardware, et cetera. And yeah, within ten years, uh, it, it was already time to to move on again and and this story is about that topic, uh, how we moved Elasticsearch uh, to the cloud, or maybe uh, we're still in in the, in the in the process of that. So yeah, it's all time to introduce the guests and uh, find out with them.
3: Yeah, so that's it, uh, it's indeed uh, because they have all the knowledge and they've been doing the work. Right? So we have two software engineers working in the buying domain who are joining us uh, today to uh, to share with us uh, what they've been doing. We have uh, Egbert uh, van der Waal and we have uh, Rashad uh, Bazarad. Thanks both for, for joining us and uh, your willingness to share this with uh, the with tech
0: community. Thank you for having us. Yes, yeah. Happy to be here.
3: So. Yeah, um, moving uh, Elasticsearch uh, to the cloud. Let's let's just start uh, to explain to our audience what is uh, Elasticsearch for the ones who don't know it, and how did we use it.
0: Yes, um, well, Elasticsearch is um, a full-text search engine, so uh, it's good at uh, making data um, searchable and with a focus on having um, basically natural language um, in. Uh, common languages and uh, analyzing it optimizing it and making it searchable so that you can find uh, uh, documents indexed uh, that match uh, any given input query
3: exactly no that that gives a good idea and when i hear that what we would typically use elastic search for would be yeah the search bar that our uh, customers would use on the website
1: is that a correct assumption or is there more so Uh, Yes, it's mostly used uh, for search bar, but also for uh, the menu. We call those uh, browse queries. So when you start navigating through the menu, also a request towards our services uh, is executed. Um, And also the product detail page. So when you click on a specific product, uh, right now also requests is made into our services. Um, So those three pages, as to say, uh, will, will trigger Elastic
3: so so that basically impulse also states that for these uh, for these menus as so we, we don't have like fixed links but uh, there's like a search uh, done every time based on a certain term or whatever. attribute.
1: Is that correct, Shah? Yes. So uh when you select a a navigation item from the menu mm-hmm. uh these these items have an ID and uh, basically we do a search by uh, uh, we do a search where Uh, the documents are restricted to this ID. So every product that contains this ID, which is assigned by uh, everyone who adds products on um, Mm bold.com, we match that ID to the ID on the documents, and that's uh, how we show
0: uh, the products. And that's not only uh, limited to... uh, categories, for example, but it's also limited, uh, um, applied to things like color of products or um, the, the price or whatever attributes uh, any of these products have.
3: So so also, uh, let, let's say that I was browsing uh, for, I don't know, kitchen appliances, and then I would really want a red kitchen appliance and I would choose the red ones. Then it would also use uh, a query to uh, Elasticsearch to find all the red kitchen appliances. Yeah. Yes. Correct. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Didn't know that. <laughs> That's why I love these podcasts. That I also learn so much. From. Something new. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Hey. To, I- for <laughs> especially also for our uh, listeners, could you share a little about uh, the size, the scale of the Elasticsearch? Uh, I don't know how many products or whatever needs to be searched. How many data is 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 used there?
0: yes um well yeah we, we we serve thousands of requests every second uh, throughout the day um and well we need quite a bit of compute power uh, to do this um so yeah we we have a uh, uh set of clusters actually uh which we rotate um that contain well in the range of, of 10 to 30 uh nodes So we're in the the process of of migrating this, and in the old setup, we actually had a much bigger cluster than we have uh, in in our migrated cloud environment. So we were able to to shrink it quite a bit, but um, I think we had 28 servers that uh, handled the load.
1: We have 28 data nodes and three master nodes, uh, and this is times two for uh, the two separate clusters. Maybe good to know we have a data node which does the actual search request and and, uh, the actual search queries. And we have the master nodes. These uh, are in charge of orchestrating uh, the indexing. So we swap clusters to refresh the data each time. Uh, So when one cluster is serving our customers and executing queries, the other cluster is ingesting the latest updates uh, uh, for the products. Oh. Exactly. And this is where the master nodes, they have a role in orchestrating this, in, uh, this indexation and uh, making sure uh, all data is there. And,
2: and this rotation principle is needed. Uh, and, and that's why you have this uh, environment uh, uh, yeah, doubled, right? With, uh, yeah. Number so of servers. The,
1: yeah. There's multiple reasons why we do this. One is resiliency, of course. So if one oh. cluster fails for whatever reason, we can easily swap back to the other cluster to mitigate uh, business impact. We want to have as much as continuation as possible, of course. And um, in terms of performance, reading and writing to a cluster is very, very hard and difficult to do. Um, So we chose for a dual cluster setup, not only because it's easier for us to manage the cluster, but also for this extra resiliency that we're getting uh, with this setup.
2: And and the total setup, like you now described, it made it one of the largest users of the current data center, right? uh... Yeah.
1: So we have a pro environment, a staging environment. We have one uh, cluster with 28 three day nodes, so 31 you could say. So we have times two is 62 nodes, and if you do that yeah. times two because we also need a staging environment that reflects the real c- scenario, you're at 128 nodes on the top of my head. So that's quite uh, quite the amount of machines that need to be maintained and.
2: Uh... Yeah, and then uh, usually with main with maintenance, but then you run into this project like okay. It's running in a data center, but now we want to move it to the cloud. Who's going to touch it? That was a that was a hot potato, right? That uh, needed to be uh, picked up. What uh, what? How did how did you? Uh, or maybe maybe start with the question: Why did we need to go to the cloud with this?
0: It's um, yeah, a, a business target of course to move uh, as much to the cloud as possible. Um, but also we want to be more flexible in the way we we use our resources and. In, in the data center, we have a bunch of, of uh, servers uh, in, in a rack in, uh, in the data center that, uh, that are allocated to our service. So if we want new servers, then we can request them. And it takes a uh, to for, for them to be delivered and installed and set up, and they need to be maintained. And if we don't need them anymore, well, then they're still there. Um, and... Sometimes they can be reallocated, but it's just not as flexible as we want to. Uh, and we do have a hugely varying load over the year, but also over the day. So we want to be more cost efficient um, uh, to to use the resources that we actually need and not resources we don't need. And that was a major drive in in wanting to move to the cloud so that we can just allocate what we need and deallocate what we don't need.
3: exactly. so that yeah. we could be more. Uh, efficient with the resources that we use in terms of machine compute power.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yes. It also yeah, puts more p- in the in the in the driver's seat. Um that that we have more control over how many clusters we have. We can uh scale up additional clusters ourselves if we need for experiments or tests or whatever. We can scale them down whenever we don't need them. We can change versions uh, easily and scale back uh refer back so it, it gives us more control over our, uh, our uh, infrastructure
1: yeah
2: so so it was clear that uh that there was a clear why we wanted to go to the cloud uh, similar to other uh items we already moved to the cloud so we want to uh to yeah you know, to have the value out of the cloud uh, apparently. But but for Elasticsearch, uh, you can think of different approaches, right? Uh, lift and shift. So spin up some servers in the cloud and then do the same uh, in there. But you probably also have some alternatives. So maybe elaborate a bit on that one. Uh, what alternatives of, did you see?
1: When we first started looking into uh, going to the cloud, we started talking with our platform uh, product, of course, because we thought, hey, we want to go to the cloud. We have this big cluster that needs to be moved to, uh, to, some, to somewhere in the air. And uh, we started talking with them from, hey, how can you help us with this? Do you have any advice and and what would be the best way to go? Not only from our uh, point of view, but also from a platform team point of view, because if we were going to run it managed by ball and and, uh, in that way, then that would also have implications for their teams because they would have another component to support. We had lots of talks with, with the business people uh, uh, in those products and also uh, with finance and, and with other tech uh, tech experts. And we came up with a few ways to go. Uh, we first thought of we couldn't do a lift and shift, just do uh, uh, bare virtual machines and install Elasticsearch on that uh, was one of the options that, that came by. But we also noticed that there is a marketplace solution, the SaaS solution of Elasticsearch uh, themselves. And we looked into uh, Kubernetes, run one of the search with the uh, search operat- Kubernetes operator in our own Kubernetes cluster. Um, mm-hmm. uh, these were the options that we had at the time. And um, because the platform team, they, uh, so how do you say that? From a platform perspective, they would in- incorporate the whole new component just for one team. So um, they, um They'd rather have us use the marketplace solution because then this management of the cluster was outsourced to uh, Google. I think it's Google. Uh, Google uh, managed it. And we could have our servers. We could have the control over the cloud and all the benefits from that. So the first iteration we did of going to the cloud was actually implementing the Elasticsearch SaaS solution on the Google, uh, Google marketplace. So... That was the first thing we tried, and we saw that it worked. It wasn't really the control we we wanted, but it was sufficient enough for us to to have our cluster up and running. Um, but there were some other reasons why we didn't go for that solution, and uh, one of them was also because of the level of support that we got uh, with the contracts that we would would get for this scale of of uh, cluster i think one of the biggest deal breakers was the fact that if there was an emergency their slo or sla their response time was i think one hour um, well if search goes down that is the immediate business impact for bold.com and we immediately start losing uh, money basically mm-hmm. because people can't search anymore and if we have 55 minutes of losing money, and then some uh, some Google engineer or some Elastic engineer comes to us, so what's the problem? That's not a not a very uh, a situation we wanted to end up in. Uh, so not only, but partly because of this reason, we decided not to go forward with the uh, Elastic uh, Marketplace Thanks. solution. Do you want to continue and uh, talk about the Kubernetes uh, <laughs>
0: solution? uh yes uh, so um yeah we explored this indeed um also didn't integrate that well into our uh, common way of working because you're integrating an external service and um most of our uh, services in the cloud are running on kubernetes so that would suit the our way of working very well um, so we investigated running uh, uh elastic in kubernetes um this requires Uh, some more uh, configuration than your typical application um, simply because it's essentially at the the basics it's somewhat of a database so it has state uh, so you cannot easily rip out one server and replace it by another because it needs that state it needs this index information so yeah we explored uh, running it ourselves um, found out that it can be done but there's quite a bit of hurdles there Uh, To take. And um, yeah, there's also an alternative uh, that helps uh, with a lot of these hurdles, and that's the uh, ECK operator. Um, This is an operator running on Kubernetes. Um, So you have a separate deployment actually that uh, manages your Elasticsearch uh, clusters. So it knows all the ins and outs of both Elasticsearch and Kubernetes and the way it does things. So it takes care of making sure that uh, this this state is actually managed and um, that masternodes, for example, are, are added in the right way and they are accepted by the rest of the cluster. Uh, they are scaled down properly and, and it, it offers a lot of, of features uh, to make this much easier to, to run it yourself on Kubernetes while still being flexible in in, in scaling up and down and keeping as much as control as, as we, we want. So that was the, the option we thought was most uh, promising to actually explore.
2: Yeah, so ECK stands for?
0: ECK is the Elastic Cloud Kubernetes, Operating, I think. Yeah.
2: Something like that, yeah. <laughs> So, so if you compare it with with the regular uh, the the thing we run in the in the data center, you had the the slave nodes and the master nodes, and master did the 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 orchestration of the of the slaves and the switching, etc. And if you run it on Kubernetes, you need an extra orchestration layer, so to say, which is the ECK then, the Elastic Cloud Kubernetes. (laughs)
1: all this wiring also needs to be done in dc but there you set it up once right because you have one machine you set those network configuration you make sure that it has a disk uh it's all physical and static uh so you set it up once and then you have it and you don't need to look at it unless you are adding a node or whatsoever and in kubernetes that is totally different because everything is is just flexible on there and yeah You can change, uh, it can change whenever you want, or if Kubernetes decides to to evict you or whatever.
3: So so basically, this additional layer helps you to manage that. It helps you to manage to keep the, uh, given the load, the right amount of data nodes, the right amount of of master nodes. And if something, uh, I don't know, drops out, fails, whatever, then it basically, instead of uh, a a person having to monitor this and uh, scaling up, this uh, does it for you.
1: So when uh, Kubernetes decides to, hey, I need to move this uh, Elasticsearch bot to a different machine, or there's, there's some, some reason Kubernetes decided to operate, said, oh, all right, wait, let me, let me turn it down first. Let me tell Elasticsearch, hey, this node is going down, stop sending requests towards it, uh, make sure that the disk, the data is on, that it is the volume, ex- that it is reserved so uh, it can be built up in another place and the machine can use it again instead of copying the index from the other uh, data nodes back. So there's a lot of wiring and infrastructure that is being handled by this operator for us, uh, which makes it, yeah, makes our life really easy. (laughs) I can
3: imagine. So basically then what you have to do is to configure this ECK operator in the way that it handles it like you would it to be
1: handled, right? Yes. so this this is where our uh, collaboration with Team Platform came in also because this is something uh, that is a little bit more uh, towards the platform because they had mm-hmm. to uh, had to install the operator on the cluster, make sure that the privileges were were correctly set up because you do want it to have certain privileges so it can scale up uh, scale nodes up and down and and create volume claims and stuff like that. Uh, but you don't want it to to manage the whole cluster, right? You don't want to give it access so it can just delete machines or whatever. Uh, uh, so there was some some wiring to do. Uh, and we have uh, for our insights team, they run uh, Elasticsearch for the logging platform and the metrics. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a little bit of overlap in there, so they needed to make sure that they were the operator that the insights teams used uh, wasn't interfering with our operator.
3: Um. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, so you didn't want uh, the operator that another team is using to to basically send commands to. You're part of the of the network, basically. Yeah. So
1: yeah. when Team Insight set up their Elasticsearch for the logging, they have the licensed version. We are we are using the free version, uh, so that that's an important difference. Um, they thought, mm-hmm. hey, nobody else going to use it. We're going to set this up for ourselves. And then we yeah. came knocking on the door. Hey, we also need an operator. Uh, so they had to rewire part of the platform in 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 that corner to make sure that uh, that everything played uh, played along nicely.
3: But what else did we need to to run uh, Elasticsearch in the in the cloud? Did we need additional components?
0: Um, yes, we we well we obviously obviously we need this uh, Kubernetes cluster. Um, but it also turned out that Elasticsearch is a bit picky in what it will run on. Um, So by default, we have a service running in the cloud that have a, um, well, default configuration. Um, Elasticsearch, for example, wants uh, a bigger amount of virtual memory uh, allocation. Um, And uh, we needed to create a separate node pool in Kubernetes uh, that has this uh, kernel parameter uh, adjusted to to run Elasticsearch. So, Mm -hmm we needed some uh, configuration on on that part from the the platform team as well to support this. Um, And also um, as we have quite a lot of products and and quite a lot of queries, uh, we use quite big machines to to run this. And um, so this also reflects in the uh, the separate notebook that we have more resources to use. We have uh, more cores in the the machines that are running the Elasticsearch uh, pods. So that's some additional things that, that we, we needed there. Uh, for yeah. the rest, we, we also have uh, a, a nice front-end uh, in, in Kibana that's connected to uh, Elasticsearch, allows us to, to do maintenance work. But this is really not too exciting. It's We use it as a very basic platform. Uh, Kibana can do lots of great stuff for analysis and stuff like that. But that's not really what we're using. We're using mainly the development tools of it. So, but it's still managed and connected by the uh, the Elasticsearch operator uh, so that actually Kibana can talk with the Elasticsearch cluster correctly without having us to set up the IP addresses or authentication and things like that. They have, I think, some items in the, what
2: you can call the periphery, right, of uh, of Elasticsearch. Uh, mm-hmm. I think some caching and uh, your, uh, in the cloud will use service mesh, I think. So you also have components that were involved in that area.
0: Yes, um, indeed. We, we have uh, quite a number of repeating queries. Uh, turns out lots of, of uh, visitors of the Bulletcom website are searching for the same things over and over again. Um, so we actually have a cache in place to serve these queries quickly. So if it has been searched before in a recent uh, time, then um, you can u- reuse the same uh, results. Uh, so we we use Farnish for this uh, as a layer between our uh, search service and Elasticsearch itself. So we had to wire this uh, together so that uh, the Farnish cache can uh, connect yeah. with uh, the Elasticsearch cluster. And we have a uh, Istio setup uh, that basically manages secure communication between all the services running both in the data center and in the cloud. So we had to to do some configuration to make sure that uh, all the uh, role-based uh, access control is correctly configured from our services, both for indexing into Elasticsearch and also for getting data out of it. And then you have all the components uh, that are involved in 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 place. You
2: have you you set up the the Elasticsearch in the cloud together with this uh, um, Elastic Cloud uh, operator tool. Uh, and then what? Because it's, if you think about it, it's really impacting. So if you're going to say, OK, right now we're going to move to the cloud, it, it can be very scary. How do, how do you approach um, that thing and maybe testing and think about go live strategy? Can you, can you elaborate on that one?
1: So we were very cautious with going live because it's a critical component. And so we did a lot of testing. And luckily, our services are built in a way that we can use Elastic as a black box. So we have our load testing setups, we have uh, uh, functional checks, and uh, in place. And we just s- pointed our services on our staging environment towards the new cluster because of Istio. This was this was uh, very uh, easy to do, and and we d- and we just let it run on on staging for a while. Um, just to get a look and feel, how does it work? Is it faster? Looking at index time also, because we don't want to uh, um, go down in performance uh, in, in, uh, for indexing also. Uh, so we did we did a lot of load testing. We tried out different machine sizes and all. And when that all was decided, we had a pretty um, we were pretty confident in in the setup, right? And the only thing that would change was just switching the cluster uh, to Pro. Um, but again, we were very cautious and we didn't want to big bang it and say, hey, let's swap, swap the traffic. So what we did was we have in the uh, normal scenario, two clusters up and running. One is surfing traffic, one is indexing. So the first step we took is we added one of the cloud cluster into that rotation. So what would happen is one cluster was surfing traffic, one cluster was indexing and one cluster was idle. We didn't care which cluster was what because it should be a black box replacement, basically. And we let that run for, I think it was a month or so. We, we did it a little bit longer just to be sure that no issues were happening. And if something went wrong, we could do our, our, our in the, the, the cluster switch trick so we, we could bit, uh, mitigate business impact. And after some time, we would add the uh, second cluster and uh, scale down one of the d- uh, DC clusters so the, the data center clusters. So then we had still three clusters up and running, but this time we have uh, two cloud clusters and one DC cluster. And we let that run for, for some time. Uh, I think we're yeah. uh, switching off the DC cluster in, in, in a week or so. Uh, but again, just to be sure, everything is fine, but uh, we but were it's pretty really cautious.
2: A- Every cluster is running either totally in the in the data center or in the cloud. It's yeah. not that you combine the clusters, no, right? Over, not, uh, uh, no, it's no. not a hybrid. So,
1: no. yeah, yeah. So basically, the systems are basically unaware that they are creating a cloud a cloud uh, cluster or a data center cluster. And um, if anything went wrong and we had a small small hiccup, uh, the first thing we did was switch traffic back to the cluster, and business dem- impact was mitigated. Yeah. Um, so we were, yeah, the setup was thought of to to have as much as resiliency as possible, and that really paid off because there was a small again a small issue we experienced on pro uh, where where we could mitigate uh, very quickly
2: and and obviously this setup with with clustering, you also tested it on on the staging environments, right before yeah. you experiment with that on the, on production.
1: yeah yeah, we have an index manager. And that rotates between two clusters, and it wasn't used to three clusters or even four clusters. So we had to make changes there temporarily to make sure that it would incorporate uh, more than two clusters.
2: Wow! <laughs> yeah. yeah, so quite a quite a step to uh, to uh, to do it, but in this way it, it, it felt like a more uh, controlled way, right? With uh, yeah moving, uh, moving into yeah. the cloud and and with safe fallbacks, so to say. Yeah. Yes.
0: Exactly. And we also spent quite a lot of time on making sure that we are fully aware of what's happening. So um, getting the the logs into our uh, logging system, but also extracting metrics um, uh, into uh, Prometheus so that we could query uh, if enough data nodes are running, if the master nodes are healthy, if the indexes are green. Um, that uh, replication is working and everything. That CPU usage is not through the roof. Um, that disks are not full. Everything. Yeah. Uh, so we create a lots of metrics, uh, extract a lots of metrics, and and build alerts on this. And we also spend time testing this on staging to make sure that if anything happens, that we are alerted really, really quickly. Yeah. So that we can intervene. And that this also paid off. Uh, so yeah. yeah.
1: We actually uh, had a disaster recovery test we did together with Platform, uh, where we would test scenarios as like so. We have this big ball that called disaster recovery plan, right? Let's say half of our data center catches fire. What happens? Do we still have continuation of business and stuff like that? So we simulated these scenarios. So we have a cluster uh, in the cloud which has a little bit, a little less nodes than we have on. DC, which was already a change. Uh, so we tested. All right, let's take down one node, see what happens. Well, the system is on the load on staging. Let's take out two nodes. Um, let's say the connection uh, drops or let's say the metrics exporter we use for the metrics and the logging it. It goes down. What happens? Do we get the alerts we're expecting? Uh, is the runbook on order? Because we we have runbooks for these kind of scenarios. Let's follow the step. What are we expecting to see and, and what is the actual outcome? Um, uh, we did this also together with the platform team because they have some more control over the Kubernetes cluster. We actually um, yanked out nodes instead of gracefully shutting it down. We just said, all right, this node is gone, whole machine, gone. Exactly. See what yeah. happens. Um, so all these tests, they, they contributed to the confidence uh, because in the end, it was all about how do we feel about deploying this to pro? And if there was one who was a little bit hesitant, we had a discussion and we said, all right, let's let's fix it. Right. Because we're such a critical component.
2: It's one, in, uh, one item in the core layer of
1: uh, the bot.com uh, platform, I think. Yeah. yeah, we're now trying
2: to squeeze this whole story in, uh, into uh, 14 minutes. But uh, if you go back in time, and eh, look at the total timeline, because I think that's also interesting to realize. When did it start?
0: Yeah, it. Uh, I haven't been around uh, at Bold.com long enough for me to know the exact start of it. I I could find records back to uh, 2019 (laughs) um, when there there was talk of of moving to the cloud or uh, the hybrid approach that you mentioned before, uh, some part in DC and some part in cloud, scaling up in the cloud, for example. Um, But uh, back then, it was all very, yeah, immature yet, the the, the cloud environment. uh, and, And it was not deemed safe or worthwhile at that moment to continue with it. Uh, so, yeah, it was sort of sparked um, indefinitely. Um, and, well, we started talking about it again, I think, in the, the last quarter of 2021. Um, and then, well, we, we started to think about what what can we do, how, uh, how should we do it, how should we approach it, when do we want to do it, and what do we need? Um, so, that's when we revisited it, and Came to action also in, in uh, the start of 2022 um, that we continued the discussion and decided uh, to, to start doing a uh, proof concept. Uh, um, first by doing this marketplace solution and later on Kubernetes. Uh, so that's when it all started.
2: Yeah, And then finally, when you uh, really start preparing and developing it, uh, it went quite fast, right? In uh, uh, 2022, uh, second half, you, you did this uh Proof of concept of Kubernetes, and then uh, you continued (laughs) working towards the setup and uh, testing on staging and then uh, the go-live. Yeah, Yeah.
0: in the bigger picture, it wasn't that long. But uh, yeah, there there are quite some gaps in between where we actually had to wait for, for example, uh, approval from security that we can do this or that we need to strip out sensitive information or things like that. Um, And also... uh, to to get the hardware approval and then approval for the the uh, kernel parameter that i mentioned before and things like that so these things just take some time um, because well everyone wants to do it right and not think a couple of months later hey this is not right and we should have done this differently and then it's hard to go back so it's quite some uh, a thoughtful process to make sure that we think about everything yeah
2: Wait a minute, you mentioned hardware approval. I, th- I thought we were running it into the cloud. What, the, what do you need, need to approve for?
0: Well, that that we uh, were using bigger machines than the default we're using in the Kubernetes cluster, for example. So we're using uh, machines with bigger um, bigger CPUs, more uh, cores and more memory uh, than the default ones. So this had to be approved. Why do we need this? Um, and how, how can we, we uh, put this together so that we get what we need and it still... Is manageable by the platform team,
2: but but machines in the cloud.
0: Yes,
1: that yes. Are, that you're okay. You can also define that. Uh, so nice. Yeah. So, okay. yeah. We'll in Kubernetes, right that you can you can define <laughs> the type of machine you want, uh, and also here we we optimized, right? So we have so first of all, we we went from a lift and shift. So we said we're going to use the same size of machines we have in DC with the same CPU and memory requirements, yeah. and then use those as Kubernetes nodes. Um, but those are quite expensive nodes, and we had to we so we checked different side of nodes and machines what worked for us, um, and that's still ongoing. We I think we decided a few weeks ago that we we need different machines to to have more resiliency. Um, so yeah, part the machines themselves were also part of of the decision making and stuff we had to design uh, for going to the cloud with this specific load.
2: You want to realize as well that you need to. Uh to uh, to have an eye for that one uh, yeah hey Peter, Paul, lo- looking at you we had we the had idea to talk about the benefits, and we also had the idea to talk talk about the learnings, but we have to time box it a bit. Shall we step to the learnings?
3: yeah, let's go to the learnings,
2: yeah yeah so so, so yeah, go ahead, Peter, Paul
3: <laughs> yeah, so interesting about what you added you uh, a few times in the in the conversation you, you mentioned hurdles. I mean, we have to take hurdles we, I mean, we also do some learning uh, in general so could you share some of the learnings uh, from the project
0: yes um well we, we learn lots of stuff and um yeah the, the one thing is uh yaml is very annoying <laughs> this uh, ECK operator works with yaml files so we define what we want um, and uh, in a schematic way but there's uh i think i think like six nesting levels and it's hard to get the proper configuration for for example for istio at the right moment for the resources uh for the network topology constraints and and things like that so this took a lot of effort to get it right and retry and retry and retry and try it again but yeah for 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 the rest as, as, as i mentioned before um take it slow and steady um there's many things to think about. It's a critical service. So, yeah, you want to be thoughtful about it and prepare. So preparation is, is basically the most important thing. Try to think what, what's being provided to us now in the data center um, and what do we expect uh, for that same uh, level of confidence in, in, in the cloud and what do we need to do to make sure that it that we can ar- arrange that. So, uh, yeah, the, the cloud is no no... Uh, silver bullet it doesn't solve everything it has its own hurdles uh, you have to configure stuff uh, when you're working in kubernetes you have a very uh, moving target basically nodes are added or removed or uh, surface maintenance or whatever so you need to be aware that nodes can just vanish all of a sudden and, sure. and you need to be resilient against this so you need to configure your your uh, disruption budgets and and the recovery methods and everything so it's lift and shift you can do it but it's going to bite you in the end
2: disruption budget that's also a good one to uh, note down disruption budget yeah Yeah, similar to the sre concept i think yeah
0: yeah indeed but it's also a kubernetes uh thing you can specify in a budget we have this many nodes uh and we can tolerate this many nodes to go down down. at the same moment and kubernetes will really try hard to make it happen. So if it can avoid taking more nodes down than is allowed by your budget, it will not do it.
1: So this is also
0: one way to to manage your uh, your availability.
2: More learnings that you want to share?
0: <clears throat> so
1: one of the big learnings is just the ECK. It's really helpful. <laughs> yeah. We tried doing it ourselves <laughs> and we saw the amount of work that is needed to, to put such a cluster in the cloud. And then you not even have the uh, luxury we have now. I'll call it luxury for now, but yeah, so now we can just say, all right, I want six nodes and the cooperator says, all right, give me a moment and then bam, we have six nodes. And if we didn't have this operator, then it would be really hard to manage it or eventually we would have built it ourselves because we, we couldn't be bothered to do manual stuff every time we need a new node or whatsoever. So uh, yeah, that operator really, uh, really helped us uh is it, that's a question popping up. Is this ECK,
2: is that, a, is that a, an a open source tool that you just can, can download and, and do it yeah. yourself or is it also a service? In the cloud it's it's
1: provided to... by Elasticsearch themselves. Uh, okay. They also have a licensed version and an unlicensed version and the licensed version, for example, gives you auto scaling out of the box and the non-licensed version manages your cluster. Like I uh, said earlier, it connects your Kibana instance to the clusters, make sure the clusters can find each other uh, when you scale down and up, it does stuff for it. So, uh, Elasticsearch develops this, uh, and and that's I think it's open source. Uh, yes. So uh,
2: yeah. yeah. Cool. And you you pointed out to a uh, to a nice bridge, I think. So what what's next?
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, we're we're looking at uh, uh, creating an autoscaler uh, functionality um, for our Elasticsearch cluster. Um, as mentioned the operator in license version does offer a uh, odd scaler but this um, proves to be not uh quick enough basically um we we, we have pretty predictable traffic patterns um, and um, the the odd scaler in the operator doesn't really Suit our needs. Um, so, we're, we're looking more at uh, scaling based on a predicted traffic. Uh, so, we're going to see that, uh, for example, during the night we have less traffic, so we can scale down and then um, maybe during the holiday season scale up more and things like that. Uh, so, that's what we're looking at to, to to build our own autoscaler to make sure that we manage our expectations um, and um, not just the actual load. Because if we scale up now, it, it will take up. 10, 50 minutes before the new note to be available, and it may already be too late.
2: Nice, nice to to uh, to think about that in that way, and uh, yeah, not just use what what is there, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Hey, Peter Paul, looking at the time again already.
3: Yeah, the, that what brings us to think? the closing round, I guess, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. So the uh, so for our audience, what's uh, what's your most important takeaway? What do you really want them to remember from this uh,
1: podcast? So, one of the most important takeaways is moving to the cloud really forces you to get a deep understanding of your own services. Mm -hmm. By deploying Elasticsearch, even with this operator, we had to dive into uh, memory configs, parameters of Elasticsearch. Uh, We had a specific setup in the, the data center, which has all these kinds of different JVM parameters and also... Uh, other settings for Elasticsearch itself to optimize it for the load that we have um, and and we really had to dive into these settings. Why is the setting there? What does it do? Do we even need it in the cloud um, and when going to the cloud, like Edward said, the YAML was was really tough <laughs> and but you get a really deep understanding of, of what are you what are you doing now, you know, and and um, yeah, we learned learned quite a lot about Elasticsearch. Um, and one other one that's also worth mentioning is that that hardware isn't everything. So uh, we are running on less, way less nodes in the cloud now than we have in DC. But along the way, we also kept improving our setup. So we made Elastic, uh, our queries more efficient. Uh, on a functional level, we also did a lot of improvements. And now we run on less nodes in the cloud, but even with these changes, we would have run on the same amount of nodes in our, in our data center. So hardware isn't everything. It doesn't solve all our problems, but it, yeah, that's one of the, the important ones that uh, sticks out.
0: Yeah, sometimes there's a lot to gain by having a closer look at, at your service and the way you're doing things. And maybe there's just some easy way to save a lot of processing power and make sure you can be much more efficient with less resources.
1: Yeah.
0: And You get yes. an insight in this by doing this transition because you really yeah. dive into everything that's related to your service
2: and from what i get from it 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 it, uh, it enforces you to or and by moving to the cloud you dive into it so you you own it even more than uh, than before uh, uh, because you understand it even better yeah and you need to 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 dive into it to make changes see what what the result is do it again Yeah, great insight i yes. think uh, yeah, thanks for sharing and uh yeah thanks for sharing this whole story and and again it happened again Peter paul we planned like 40 minutes for it we, we could continue for maybe hours so if you're listening and think about questions you have to to this guest, reach out to us and and we will see what we can do to uh, to have them answered or maybe discuss them in the next uh, next episode so and uh, so thanks for sharing uh rashad and uh, expert nice story
0: thank you guys yes Thanks for having us. Uh, yeah, it's uh, nice to uh, talk about this and hope right. uh, that uh, someone finds it uh, interesting and uh, learns something from it.
2: For it's sure. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you like the episode, check some of the others. Go to Spotify or iTunes, search for Tech Lab and subscribe. Leave a five-star review so others can find the podcast easier and spread the word. We like interactions, so if you have any questions or suggestions find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or mail techlab at bol.com. Hope to meet you in our next episode. Have fun!